Namaste to all of you. Welcome to tonight's, today's satsang, in which I'm going to continue with my presentation of the subject, the difficult subject, the great subject of dealing with emotions as application of yoga in daily life, because emotions are a challenge of the daily life, of our daily lives, and therefore, how to deal with them in a yogic way. I was telling last time, uh, at the end of the satsang, that uh, modern man has become extremely dominated by his or her emotions and almost incapable to rise against them. And because of this, losing a lot of opportunities. And unfortunately, it is one of the manipulations or misunderstandings of modern psychology, which encourages people in very ridiculous ways sometimes to deal with these chaotic emotions. And the result is not that people are getting healed and more harmonious. When we look at the society at large, we feel that even though the last 60 years they have been without war, without tyranny, most of the people studying yoga and such things, they come from democratic countries where there has been peace and freedom or a relative level of freedom at least in the last 60-70 years. Nevertheless, the emotional turmoil, the mental disturbance, the problems which result from this emotional lack of control are just becoming worse and worse. The problems are getting bigger and bigger. And uh, funnily enough, when people were taught a certain kind of stoic self-control, actually the problems were fewer. I'm not saying that there were no problems whatsoever, but the problems were fewer and reduced in size, in scope. And that's why um, I cannot condone this uh, emotional permissiveness which is given under the excuse of suppression in many, many ways, uh, because it's a hypocrisy uh, compared to the laws of nature, as I explained already last time. And uh, I'm going to look into the different solutions to this. Remember that our emotions can be very wrong. Taking our emotions for judges in taking decisions, it's one of the biggest mistakes that a human being can do. You cannot say, I don't feel like doing this, and therefore I'm not doing it. Great people in spirituality and in the history of humanity, they have done great things exactly by doing the things which they didn't feel like doing. They felt like running away, and they didn't run away, and they did the right thing. 
they felt like not forgiving somebody, but taking revenge, and they changed their mind, and they did forgive against their own feeling, and eventually this resulted in a much greater accomplishment. Remember that what we know to be right is in our mental body. It's a mental thing. It's an intellectual thing. It's exactly like the principles which have been uh, exposed, set forth in Greek philosophy, for example, or by Latin philosophers or by others, by religious teachers. And our emotions are a lower level. They are our manomaya kosha. We feel them stronger because they are closer to our animal nature. But on the other hand, they are much less wise. They are much less inspired. I remember having read the book of some Christian author who was writing a book about evolutionism, Darwinism, and then he spent a part of one of his chapters talking about some principles of researching these alternative truths. And there he said it very clearly. He said, if you are a Christian, and it would be the same if you are a Buddhist, and it would be the same if you are a Jew, and whoever you are, if you are in one of these spiritual tracks, you always rely on what you know that is good and not on what you feel that is good or not. If, for example, you are a Christian and you know that God loves you, because God is love, God is loving compassionately, even the people who suffer in hell right now, even they are eligible for the love of God, Sounds a very paradoxical concept, but I will let you chew on that. It is not the subject of today's satsang. Then, what, then he said, you know that Jesus, God, Jesus, as you want to put it, loves you. And then today, I feel abandoned, alone. It's like God has abandoned me. God has forgotten me. No important spiritual thing has happened. It's like, you know, that's a feeling. So what is the truth? Is the truth the fact that I am abandoned by God? Or is the truth the fact which I know? Yes, there is a contradiction in me. I know that God could not have forgotten me or abandoned me. And God still loves me. And I feel like shit. Well, which one of them is wrong? My feeling like shit, that one is wrong. Because it's not the truth. The truth is written down there. My teacher taught me. God loves you always. He leaves the door open. If you knock at the door, the door shall be open. You cannot step out of God's love. It's true. There do exist karmic punishments. But the karmic punishments, they do not cancel the love of God. The love of God is on a much higher level than the actions of karma. Because of my karma, I can be in a bad situation and the love of God is still there. Therefore, I have 
to make myself accept and believe in the love of God, even when I feel like shit. The fact that I feel like shit must not matter. That's an aberration of my brain. That's an aberration in my astral body. I have impurities, scars, dents, whatever you want to call them, in my brain and in my astral body, and those make me have a wrong view of what's happening in my life and in the universe. And therefore, even for the next 50 years, I simply do not believe in that shit. I refuse to believe in that thing because I know from the very beginning that it is wrong. Remember that even Jesus, when he got crucified, he accepted to behave like a man and not like a clairvoyant Siddha or Maha Siddha when he was on the cross. And therefore, when he was on the cross, not only that he suffered, but because of the agony in which he was, his astral body closed to the pay to the finer feelings and he could not feel God. And Jesus cried on the cross like a miserable human being. He said, my God, my God, why have you left me? Of course God did not leave him for one second. But being tortured on the cross, it would be expectable that somebody who is tortured on the cross would kind of not have time or energy to feel the love of God because they have other priorities right there, such as having their bones broken, having themselves pierced with spears, having nails hammered in their wrists and feet and so on. You know, Of course you will not feel. But Jesus, although he expressed the feeling sincerely, like, my God, my God, have you left me? Nevertheless, he didn't stop his mission. He didn't just come and say, oh, wait a minute, can I apologize? Uh, can we stop this? Because I just realized, you know, that all this thing with God which I had was a madness because now it stopped and I can see it's not there. No, although he was not feeling God and that was a very bad moment to not feel God because he was just dying on a cross, nevertheless, Jesus continued he said, God, forgive them for they don't know what they are doing. He said, it is accomplished, like his mission was accomplished. And then he said, God, in thy hands I commit my soul. I give, I put my soul in your hands. No? So his knowledge was stronger than his feeling. His body number four was stronger than his body number three. That's why I'm saying it again and again. Surrendering to emotions is a big mistake when those emotions have not been vetted by the higher spiritual principles and by your higher bodies. You suddenly say, I feel I love Shiva very much. And then you ask, is that okay? Yes, that's bhakti yoga. That's going to take you to Shiva three times as quickly as normally. So it's okay to love Shiva, yes? I'm asking again. Yes, okay. Then I accept. I let my love for Shiva flow and I sing and I dance and I go into it. Because why not? 
My emotions are powerful horses. And suddenly my horses are taking me to Shiva. Therefore, the emotion can be used when you find out that it is useful. And when it is not useful or appears to be not useful, you have to find out a way of turning it in the right direction. The masters in Aikido, as well as in Jujutsu and Judo, but Aikido is the most uh, exquisite, the most elaborate of those martial art theories, they say that whatever impulse comes to you, like somebody pushes you or tries to hit you or something, you can use it. You have to first go along with it, catch it, and then move it in another direction. And when you move it in another direction, your opponent falls on its back and hurts himself or herself. So the emotions are powerful horses. Just you have to make them run in the proper direction. Thus, I was saying it to somebody who was asking just a couple of days ago about some of this emotional management. There are spiritual disciplines which allow no emotions at all. Like the Hinayana Buddhism is almost classic for that. In extremis and in a very, very intellectual way, they allow a feeling of compassion to all the living beings. But it's not a compassion that you stay there and you cry with compassion and you melt and you break. It's a compassion which is pretty much intellectual. Like you see somebody who has no shoes and you can give them your shoes, you know, out of compassion. It can be operative, active, but it's not really an emotion how we understand it in the Western culture. It's more like an intellectual decision to live your life according to those principles. So some spiritualities, they are so disturbed by the astral body and its shenanigans that they would simply say, you know what, let's drop it out completely. You do spirituality without paying attention to your physical body. You do spirituality without paying attention to your etheric body. You do spirituality without paying attention to your astral body. And you pay attention only to your mental body. And there the foundation is the four noble truths of the Buddha. That's your Bible. The four noble truths, everything is filtered through that. And from there, that's how you guide your life. Then, there are other spiritualities which have entered into the astral body. But there, they choose only a very limited array of emotions. Like when you read about the gifts of the Holy Spirit in Christian, in the letters of Paul, in the Bible, in the Gospels, after the Gospels. No? There you find out that Paul says, And the signs of the Holy Spirit are forbearance, patience, love, wisdom, peace, this, that. Hey, some of them are emotions. It's okay to be peaceful. If you are peaceful, that's supposed to come from the Holy Spirit. And whenever there is a turmoil, you tell to everybody, brothers, brothers, peace, 
Peace be with you. Peace be upon you. Let's go into this peaceful feeling. Om Shanti Shanti Shanti. The same thing in India. no? And therefore, but why is the peaceful emotion allowed? And the anger is not allowed. You are not allowed to go to the church and be angry or be this or be that. No. That emotion is on the blacklist. And when you have it, they say it's coming from the devil. And therefore, a religion like Christianity compared to the the Hinayana Buddhism, to the Theravada Buddhism, is more permissive because it has 5, 10, 12, 15 emotions which it likes. Like, I want to be of service. Can I be of service? I feel like doing karma yoga. I feel like I cannot just sit there and pray. I want to serve the world. I want to give food to the poor. I want to feed the hungry. I want to give clothes to those who have no... I want to be part of a charitable organization and work many hours per day and so on. That's okay. Somebody will clap you on the shoulder and say, Great, you are a great person. I'm glad you do that. That emotion that you want to serve is accepted, while in some ultra-extreme religious environments, it's not accepted. Why did you get out of your cave and go to do some service? Go back to your bungalow and do meditation till you drop dead. No service. Service is just a way of your monkey mind to take you out of your practice. Don't. Don't allow yourself distracted. Stay there and practice. Even if you feel you are dying of boredom and you explode with energy, sit there on your big ass and do the spiritual practice. No service. Service is a trick of the mind. See, some forms of extreme spirituality, they don't accept even positive emotions. Because they say that positive emotions are a way of your monkey mind to distract you and to give you collateral things of energy. And thus, if you go in Christianity, in Sufism, in many others, no, in Bhakti Yoga in general, you love, you have hope, you have faith, you have courage, you do this, you do that, it's considered to be okay. But you hate. You are angry. You are, I don't know what, depressed and hopeless. Those are from the devil. Those we do not accept. So we come to a point where, okay, some emotions are okay. And then all the rest, I'm horny. No, you can't do anything with this horniness. No? And therefore, you have to take a whip and beat yourself to blood until the pain and the blood loss is so big that your horniness is quelled. It runs away like a squealing dog. Oh, 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 I promise I won't be horny again. You know, you simply chase the horniness simply by going violent against yourself. Like you don't accept it. It's not acceptable. Of course... Anybody who tries to fight against negative emotions knows that sometimes it's bloody difficult. Because if you are not born like Ramakrishna, sattvic and pure, and if in your previous lives you have done 
a lot of inferior and animalistic things, now they will come to you full power. You inherit your astral body from your previous life. It's the same astral body, more or less. And therefore, here you are, and whatever, if you've been jealous in your previous life, you are jealous in this life as well. If you've been an angry temperament in your previous life, you are angry in this life as well. And the list could continue. And then, there are other traditions, out of which the most outstanding is probably the Tantric tradition, which allows a greater array of emotions. Like in a Christian monastery, if you are horny, it's wrong. In a Tantric ashram, if you are horny, your guru can find a way for you to spend this horniness. So, the list of accepted emotions is greater. It's not total. It's practically never total. Some people believe absurdly that there are versions of the tantric tradition where you can have pretty much any emotion anytime and it's okay. That's not true. I have been involved in tantra for 39 years now, practically on a day-to-day basis. I have taught it also for many years once I have reached a certain level of understanding and proficiency in its practice. And that's why I can tell you with authority, that is bullshit. I said it two days ago in an answer in a Q&A session. Much of this confusion is coming, unfortunately, from a discourse and a chapter which was given by Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, at the time when he called himself Bhagwan Sri Rajneesh, and then later called Osho Rajneesh, in one book where he was making a commentary on the Royal Song of Saraha or one of these texts, in one of his Tantra books from the 1970s, he gave a bullshit lecture, I'm saying it again, a bullshit lecture, in which he defined that yoga is a path of the ego where you just create rules and regulations, and tantra is a path of the non-ego, ha ha ha, superior therefore from the very beginning, in which you pretty much allow your emotions to go rampant whenever, wherever, in whichever way, and you are saying yes to life, and you are affirmative, and I will tell you very clearly, that lecture, in my opinion, is one of the things that might make Rajneesh burn a few years in hell for. It was a misinformation, it was a misunderstanding, and it put a lot of people on the wrong path. I have known in my life people belonging to the Tantric tradition in various lineages, from North India to South India and outside of India as well. And I'm telling you that 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 kind of theory that Tantra is accepting all the emotions and blah, 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 is a nonsense. It's not true. It's just a wishful thinking. It's a sort of imagination in the brains of Osho. He had not seen it anywhere in the world. 
the people who tried to initiate that in his ashram, they became total losers, total nonsense. And that is not a line of evolution to be taken on. Like, I have the emotion that I want to kill all my brothers and sisters. Oh yeah, go for it, you know. Be like Angulimala, like the Buddhist saint who was a highway robber, you know. Start killing around, see where this emotion is taking you. No tantric guru will tell you that. If they tell you that, they might be Satanists or they might be severely confused about some things. It doesn't work like that. It's simply that Tantra has a list of acceptable emotions or useful emotions which is longer than Sufism or Christianity or Bhakti Yoga or other things. But longer does not mean that it's total. Why? Because some of the terrible emotions which exist out there they are so difficult to convert that a beginner will not be able to do that conversion, that Aikido, to take the negative emotion and turn it around and go 180 degrees in the opposite direction. No, theoretically that should be possible. But in practice it requires a level of skillfulness which a beginner, even after five years of yoga, tantra, spirituality and practice, does not have. And thus, there is a spiritual alchemy which can transmute and sublime everything, but that has to be mastered. It is said that Buddha met with a serial murderer called Angulimala, who was suffering from a severe form of schizophrenia, and somehow Buddha, by giving him the supreme awareness, by giving him an insight in the nature of the Buddha nature, somehow there was a one millimeter thing, short-circuiting in the brain of that guy, and somehow he changed from one day to the next. Because... He was close to a great wisdom and he was applying it as a mental patient would apply it, which means in a dark, demonic, painful and totally wrong way. So I'm not saying that Buddha or Jesus cannot take a negativity and turn it around. Saul of Tarsus, later called Paul, he was a killer of Christians. He probably killed Numerous Christians, if not tens of Christians. Kill them. If the Christians were people of God, maybe they were not, but if they were people of God, this was a form of demonic Satanism. And this soul of Tarsus met with Jesus in spirit on the road to Damascus, where he was going to kill more Christians. And then he became Paul who for the next 20, 30, 40 years worked relentlessly for Jesus Christ and for Christianity and became probably the most efficient, the most known of the apostles of Christ, like a repentant sinner. So I'm not saying that it's not possible to turn just about whatever emotion. Because remember, the emotions are strong 
horses. The horse is not guilty, but a horse running fanatically in the wrong direction, it's very difficult to stop or to turn around. You have to know a lot of emotional Aikido to turn that around so that it becomes something useful. And that's why I'm telling you all these things to make you understand that Tantra, at least when you are a student in Tantra, does not simply say that everything goes. It says we have a list of things that beginners can use, which is five times bigger than in a Christian monastery. There, you can use only your sense of service, your humbleness, your love, your abnegation, your compassion, your spiritual courage, and a few other things which are the gifts of the Holy Spirit. In a tantric ashram, you can use 10 or 20 other things which come to you, and we can teach you how to deviate those horses and put them in the right direction. The sexual energy which normally goes down and is lost and wasted, we can move it up Sushumna Nadi and bring it to Sahasrara and then it becomes enlightenment. Therefore, even radical turns are possible, but do not fall in the extreme that, okay, Tantra means a complete acceptation, yes, to life, and whatever shit comes to you, you just go with that shit and see where it takes you. It's not true. As far as my experience in spirituality goes, that's not how it happens. Remember, you cannot play Messiah before you are the Messiah, and therefore don't try to play Jesus or Buddha or things like that when you are a beginner. You should have the common sense and the humbleness to accept that you have a list of things that you can deal with. When I give the lecture on the sublimation of energy and the sublimation of emotions in the level one to the total beginners, I'm telling them it's much better to sublime the negative things And people say, is it not suppression? No, because suppression means that you don't manage to sublime the energy, and it's exploding, and you want to do it, and you don't do it, and then you suppress it. That is unhealthy, indeed. But I'm speaking about subliming. And people say, isn't this sublimation like you are avoiding some issue, some big issue? Yes. And beginners... And by beginners, I mean before you have done three, four, five years of yoga and tantra, beginners are advised warmly to avoid a lot of issues until they become strong enough and determined enough and with a great concentration power and with a good willpower and solar enough so that they can tame the wild horses. Some horses are too wild and too much for a beginner to guide them. Some horses are gentle and they can be easily directed in the proper direction. But some horses like fear, anger and such things, they are they can be very destructive or self-destructive and the ones who can use those, they can be they must be masterly in their yoga and mind control. And thus, um, please
please understand that even me speaking from the standpoint of a tantric teaching, I am advocating that people should carefully deal with their emotions. No, I'm not teaching in a Buddhist monastery where I'm telling you to have no emotions whatsoever. No, I'm not even teaching in a Christian monastery or in a Sufi Dharga or something comparable, a Bhakti Yoga Ashram from India, where I would be telling you, you have this list of emotions which take you to God, and then all the other emotions, you should shun them because they are detrimental to your spiritual practice. I am coming from the standpoint of the Tantric tradition, which is probably the most open-minded, the most permissive, the most ready to deal with these powerful horses. (coughs) But for beginners, not all of them, and not chaotically, just about any time, every time. The fact that you read that uh, some people have coped with uh, murder a la Angulimala, whom I mentioned three times already, or the fact that you read that some spiritual teachers a la Eckhart Tolle or others, they say that they had extreme depression uh, and that depression led them to a state of spiritual awakening. This is for you as a beginner in the spiritual practice, in my opinion, this is like playing Russian roulette. Because you do not have the karma, the nadis, the chakras, which those people had. You do not have the spiritual guides, which they had. You do not have the providence of God, which they had with them. And therefore, you are risking everything on a card. And that is not to be done because the chances of success are very little. For one person who reached some form of enlightenment out of depression, there are a billion others who did not. One in a billion is a very, very, very small percentage. And it's, it's less than winning the national lottery, or much, much less. And therefore you should not play your evolution on such odds. There exist classical methods of dealing with your emotional turmoil. I'm not saying you should suppress it. Suppression is a path, but I don't believe much in it. I'll tell you why. And therefore, I'm going to list them for you once more insisting a little bit on each one of them, like how it is done, so you see what works best for you. The Yoga Sutra of Patanjali, who deals very much with the mind, but who acknowledges that in the mind there is also a lower mind, Manomaya Kosha, the astral body, which does contain feelings and emotions, of course, it talks about these emotions. And many of them are presented as negative poisons of the mind, the five kleshas of the mind. Read the Yoga Sutra. Or watch 
the satsangs which I gave four years ago in the Yoga Sutra and identify and see that there are many negative emotional states in which you can be misguided and miss the point. <clears throat> and then Patanjali as being a puritanic Ajna Chakra thinker, he recommends the method which is the most obvious. And the method which is the most obvious is, if you have a little bit of acid in a glass, you neutralize it by pouring on top of it an equal amount of something alkaline, a base. Acid and base. You put 10 grams of this and 10 grams of that, they boil a little bit, there will be some fuss, and then they are calm, they are neutral, nothing happens, you have cancelled the negative with the positive. This is called in Sanskrit in the Yoga Sutra, Pratipaksha Bhavana, Bhavana is the emotion, the type of emotion, and Pratipaksha means going against it, it means the opposite one. So the first method, which is the Puritanic method in classical yoga, and I advise it to whoever has the power to do that. Usually people who have a little bit of Ajna Chakra, they can do that. The first method is cultivating the opposite emotion. Cultivating the opposite emotion is not easy. That's what Jesus asks you to do. Jesus says, love your enemies. Very difficult to love your enemies. It's very, very difficult to love your enemies. Jesus was a purist like Patanjali. It's very difficult. Even yogis who are advanced, they don't manage to love their enemies. At the best, I have seen yogis who were challenged in some ways, and what they managed to do was to go in Vishuddha Chakra or something and become like totally detached. Like cultivate a neutrality. This is your enemy. To me, this enemy is as good as dead. Doesn't exist. I don't want to hate him. I don't want to love him. I don't want to know that he lives on the face of this earth. This person simply does not exist for me. That means the best that they can do is cultivate neutrality. <clears throat> Stay away. Somebody doesn't like me. They shouldn't visit me. They shouldn't talk to me. I'm not going to read their emails. I'm not going to do anything. I just cultivate neutrality. At least I don't fall in the trap of hating them and generating negative energy or generating negative karma. Even this is very difficult. No, there is a story with Buddha or with Socrates where somebody is insulting them on the street and he is completely unperturbed. He doesn't love them, but he is unperturbed. And people say, don't you hear that he is insulting you? And then he said, that Socrates that he is talking about, I don't know who it is. But that's a form of ignoring, putting a wall, and it's like they talk against a wall. A yogi should know how to do at least this one, but this is not Pratipaksha Bhavana. Pratipaksha Bhavana is cultivating the opposite emotion. Sometimes it's very difficult. There are 
many secondary difficulties to it, in which one of them is, you don't know what the opposite emotion is. Like, um, if somebody accuses you that you are stingy and miserly, like greedy for money and other things, not giving proper, no being attached to property, you could say that my opposite is detachment and cultivating generosity. But when you have other emotions, none comes to mind right now, but I know that I have seen many of those. When it will come to my mind, I will tell you one of such. Then you simply don't know what's the opposite of this one. Because you will find something else, but not the exact 180 degrees, like north and south, exactly opposite. And then, that can cause some deviations from this method. So you don't know what emotion to cultivate, you don't know, and you don't have the power, you say, man, it's a superhuman thing that you are asking of me to do this, or that. And uh, here, there exists one trick. Of course, if you have a good Manipura, a good Ajna, especially a good Ajna, you can force yourself to do it. But even there, there is a secret. To cultivate the opposite emotion, pay attention to what I say now, because it is very important, it doesn't mean that you have to cultivate the opposite emotion regarding the same person or the same group of people. It's very important and very radical what I just said. Because people think that if Oscar made me angry, then I, or you know, hateful, then I have to try to love Oscar. No. Because the experiment is about me. It's about my evolution and my spiritual development. So the point is, I don't know who Oscar is. I can think like the Vedantins. Oscar is a painting on the wall. Oscar is an illusion. Is Maya. What matters is that in me there appears a great emotion of hate. And my guru does not accept hate as an acceptable emotion. So I'm not, you know, we tell to people, you can't do a yoga session or pranayama if you are full of hate. Because your pranayama or your yoga practice may amplify that hate through the mysterious law of resonance. And therefore, hate is not acceptable. I want to do hatha yoga in 30 minutes, and what do I do about this, that I'm boiling with hate? Remember Patanjali is very tricky, because he does not say that you should love Oscar. It says, in you, there has to appear love. But not towards Oscar. You can love God. You can love olive oil, your girlfriend. You can love the sunset. You can love a puppy. You can love something. 
Even there, the mind doesn't want to let go of Oscar. And therefore, there will be a struggle. Forget about Oscar. Look how much I love this. Let's say you have a child. Do you love your child? Okay, when Oscar makes you hate him, stop the hate and impose on yourself to think about your child for 48 hours. Not a minute about Oscar. I think about my child and love it. The effect is that in me, in my chakras, in my system, instead of being lots of hate, there will be the opposite emotion. Not to the same target. To another target. So therefore, my effort is not to think about that target. Because every time when Oscar is coming to my mind... I feel hate. And therefore, the solution is don't think about Oscar. Impose yourself to think about something else. The great teacher, Swami Satyananda Sarasvati, the founder of the Bihar School of Yoga, he has said it wonderfully in his commentary to the Yoga Sutra of Patanjali. He said, how do you know that you have control of the mind? If one day when unexpectedly you receive very bad news, which produce a lot of negative emotions, if you can simply not think about those news, let's say it's not something urgent, like you have to protect yourself by washing yourself, because, you know, like something may involve an action from you. This does not involve an action, it's just bad news. When it comes... You make yourself not think about it for 48 hours. If you can do that, Guru Satyanandaji, he says, you are okay. You have the proper control of the mind. So you take it as, those of you who are listening to this satsang, take it as a challenge. Next time when you listen to something bad, which does not require your intervention, or it can require a neutral intervention, like close the window, because there is too much noise. Close the window, and, but you don't think about the negative thing for 48 hours. You simply think about the Sixth Symphony of Beethoven. You simply think about Japanese calligraphy. You simply think about if the global warming is produced by man or not. Think about something else. If you can do that, that shows that the mind is your servant and not that you are the servant of your monkey mind. This is required in cultivating the opposite emotion. Cultivating the opposite emotion means finding the opposite emotion, finding another target because sometimes it's bloody difficult to exert it to the same target, and Cultivate that emotion a lot and a lot and a lot and a lot. Then you have the simple chemical reaction, acid-alkaline. The acid and the alkaline cancel each other. You have 50 units of this versus 50 units of this. Boom! And you've reached neutrality and you've reached zero. You've reached the peace, the center, the self. This is... 
the preferable way because it's the most rapid way. It's simply using the opposite. Matter with antimatter. Protons with electrons. Acid with alkaline. This is the shortcut. Patanjali is giving you the razor sharp solution. However, in modern times, such low spirits have incarnated on planet Earth that they have not enough discrimination. They don't have emotional control. As I often say it, they behave like baboons. They behave like Stone Age primitives, like Neanderthals. And because of this, you, you give them the advice of Patanjali and they shit on it. They simply cannot, would not, they don't listen, they cannot, they are extremely primitive. They don't have enough discrimination, clarity to do this. And that's why the advice of Patanjali is wasted. All the moral teachings of Plato and Socrates and uh, Immanuel Kant and others and of Jesus and of Buddha and of Patanjali, they are wasted once the human quality is lower than a certain standard. When the human quality is lower than a certain standard, you are talking to Neanderthals. And Neanderthals they do not wish to listen, they don't understand how to listen to Patanjali. Patanjali is way above their possibilities. Um, unfortunately, now in the end of Kali Yuga, there is more and more Neanderthals around, and therefore this pure yoga becomes less and less practiced less and less followed. It's like a museum object. We put it on a shelf and say, that was the wonderful yoga of Patanjali. But how many people did actually practice it, and can practice it, and would practice it? It's very difficult. Remember, the fundamental secret in the yoga of Patanjali, with the emotions, is to find the opposite, and to cultivate the opposite, but not necessarily to the same person or to the same group of people. It makes it very easy. If you have one thing in this world that you love, forget about the hate, focus on the object of your love, and love it, love it, love it, love it. And if your thought of hate comes to you a hundred times, send it back a hundred times. It's as simple as that. It's just a stubborn focusing on the opposite emotion. That will produce energies which are exactly the opposite and it will cancel in your astral body the energies produced by your jealousy, greed, anger, hate or whatever negative emotions are torturing you at that time. There is a version to this. I consider it another alternative even and that is, if you cannot find the opposite emotion, or if you say, come on, man, I'm so full of anger and hate, now you're asking me to love my child, or my girlfriend, 
Even my child and my girlfriend, I cannot love them right now. I'm totally poisoned by this incredible anger and hate which I have. Let's say that you cannot find the opposite emotion and the opposite emotion is not strongly developed in you and you feel you are losing the battle. You cannot create the opposite emotion to the level where the other one is. Then we have the solution of the allopathic medicine. Allopathic medicine, homeopathic medicine means the same. But allopathic medicine doesn't mean the opposite. Allo, like allogen or something. Allo, allopathy, means to divert the disease in another direction. In another direction. Let's say I have an infection which produces me fever and the swelling of my jaw because it's in my teeth or something. And then somebody gives me a strong medicine and that strong medicine among others produces a strong diarrhea as a collateral effect. It's allopathic. Instead of pain and infection, it has turned into diarrhea. And after two days, my diarrhea stops and I don't have the infection as well. The allopathic medicine uses deflection, not opposite, not reflection, not pulling along like in Aikido, but simply deflection, allopath, another one, another direction. No? And it works. The allopathic medicine very often works. Nowadays, we witnessed a lot of medical uh, vested interests. It's become a pharmaceutical financial interest. And that's why sometimes the allopathy is practiced in a wrong way or excessively. Like everything is given drugs, 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 chemicals, chemicals, chemicals. And sometimes it's simply too much. But the allopathic medicine, if you study the history of it, what did doctors gave to their patients to solve a problem? It did work. It does work in many cases. It's the strongest form of medical system which is practiced today on earth. Again, there are vested and financial interests and so on, but it's not only that. It's coming from a lineage, from a long lineage of medical practice. And that's why the cultivating another emotion. I cannot cultivate the opposite. Simply because I have to cultivate love. And actually I don't have a child or a girlfriend or somebody that I love. People say, but don't you love your mother? No, she's a bitch, I hate her. You know. So then who can you love? No, actually nobody. Then you cannot replace the hate with love. Because you actually don't love anybody in your life. Then you have to replace it with another emotion. Whichever, but not the hate. Just another one. And remember, one can say that, uh, this is used in many religions, one can say that Buddhist monks or Christian monks or others, they have no emotions or they are boring or emotionally dead, but they do have emotions. They have other emotions, which they might not speak to you about, and which they favor. Like they have aspiration. They say somebody wants me to hate them, and I just have a longing to go to Jesus. To go to, I don't love Jesus because my heart chakra is blocked. But I have a longing. 
maybe from Manipura, maybe even from Svadhisthana, maybe from my Vishuddha. I have a longing to go to Jesus, to go to the kingdom of heaven. Because of my aspiration, I stay away from the hate. Because I cannot experience both of them at the same time. I have to generate a strong emotion which catches all my attention. Is there a strong emotion that you have in your life? Yes, there must be something. No? And then you call aspiration, the desire for freedom, uh, running away from the impurity of the world and uh, separating and detaching from this, the fear of death. Like death is coming and I'm hating stupid people who don't deserve to be hated. You know, so it's better that I focus on my fear of death. Tomorrow I could be dead. What did I do about it? I don't have time to think about Oscar and his stupid things. I can turn back to my death and I can confront. Today could be the last day of my life, you know. So how do I deal with this? I'm focusing on something else, which means I deflect the energy from that horse... And I put it into another horse. I yoke another horse to my chariot. And that I know how to deal with. That's an emotion which I have. No? Like there are people who feel I cannot practice. But do you have aspiration? Do you want to reach the spiritual goals that you are talking about? If yes, put your ass to work. So if you have aspiration... Or other such things. In the name of that emotion. You can do things. And therefore. Instead of cultivating the negative emotion. You just call. I'm depressed. I can't do it. Do you want to be free? No. I don't even know what that means. Are you afraid of death? If you die tonight. Are you okay? Uh, no man. I'm shitting my pants. You know. Then we find something stronger. Than your depression. Even if you are depressed. Go into your fear of death and look into that. Watch that. You could be dead tonight. Unexpectedly in the middle of the night, you could just hit death. No? Are you ready? Have you done what you have to do? Did you train in the art of dying? Did you open your third eye and your crown chakra to be able to constructively deal with this? This is... Replacing it with an other emotion, which simply say, yeah, I would be attracted to go into hate. I would be attracted to go into depression. But you know what? I don't have time. I don't have time because I have to save my soul. I'm afraid of death. I have a lot of spiritual aspiration. That's what I want to do. Then you cancel that emotion by postponing it. By postponing it for a hundred years. And then you don't have to deal with it right now. Yeah? This is choosing or cultivating another emotion. The third method is the tantric method. That's why some people thought that in tantra you can cultivate all sorts of crazy emotions. But it's not true. It's a dangerous and extreme method. And it usually does not work without a guru. Sometimes... If the guru is not 110% of a guru, even with a guru, it can have some collaterals, some side effects which were not expected. I call it 
exploding the emotion. And I gave it as example very clearly. It's the equivalent of the following situation, which is not very politically correct. It's a story which happened with a very abusive, dominant father. Uh, and I'm not talking about my father. It's a story which I know from a friend of the family who was very overprotective and very competitive and ambitious about his son. And the father was smoking, was a chain smoker. And when he was 10 or 11 years old, he caught his son or the mother, caught their son smoking. And then this guy did a thing which no parent in the Western culture would do today. But in those days in Eastern Europe and in the communist rule... Uh, it it was acceptable, like not many people did that, of course, but uh, it was like he got away with it. He didn't get punished in any way or anything. He simply took his child in a room, he locked the door, the mother was fussing outside, and he put a package of cigarettes on the table and he said, start smoking. You want to smoke? I'll show you what smoking is. You know, smoke in front of me. Please, no, I'm not preventing you from smoke. You are curious, you want to think you are a grown-up or something? Smoke. And he forced the kid to smoke four or five cigarettes in a row. The result was that he started throwing up and he got really, really intoxicated because for a kid, the nicotine and everything, you know. And the father had the patience and the courage to be there, you know, because he could not give up smoking himself. He knew he was a coward. He knew he was a piece of shit. And he was absolutely terrified that his son had learned this. He, now he was wishing that he never smoked for the last 10 years so that he would be a good example for his son. But he was not. And he was hating himself. And because he was hating himself, he simply decided to do something desperate. This was intuitive. The man was not a psychologist, but he managed to do it in a Tibetan psychological way. That child threw up and fainted, got yellow, white in the face and so on. But one thing happened. That child never touched a cigarette for the rest of his life. Now that child is 60 years old, he never touched a cigarette. He is a non-smoker and he is a non-smoker since the age of 10 or 11 where his father this is exploding the emotion. Like if you want to go into a direction, nicotine, for example, has a certain emotional effect, which smokers know very well, either they understand it or not, either they speak about it or not. And that effect can be taken to an extreme level. And then your body will get into the fight or flight. Your body, your brain will go into the death or life situation and then of course the primitive brain will protect itself will protect its life and then it will choose the version in which you simply destroy that emotion and that emotion becomes like on automatic pilot unacceptable if you want to listen to the morality of plato you forbid yourself some emotions as being negative intellectually but this kid, this man, he forbids himself to touch cigarettes from his amygdala, from his hypothalamus, from his primitive brain. Like there is not even the shadow 
of an attempt to go there because in his primitive brain there is a total rejection, total fear of what cigarettes can do to you. It's a horror. So the problem with this exploding the emotion is that if the kid would be told, smoke some cigarettes until you see how bad it is, the kid would smoke two and then start feeling bad and will not continue to the third, the fourth, or the fifth. Like not continue beyond the red line. Self-protection. And unfortunately, this kind of experiment has to be taken beyond the red line. A lot of terrible things can happen when you go beyond the red line. The Tibetans have a typical technology of this, which is called chod, which means cutting off, and it's cutting off the fear. A human being can become fearless. But for this, you have to subject yourself to a fear which is akin to madness. And because of this, they go in deserted places and they ask the demons to come and eat them alive, possess them, destroy them, and so on. And if the guru and the disciple were prepared for it, then the disciple is going to feel an inexpressible level of fear, and that fear is going to be replaced by compassion, by another emotion. It's not by courage, it's by compassion. He will say, I'm dying so that all the demons can take my flesh and blood and my life force and be happy. I'm compassionate because all these demons, they are in hell. Nobody gives them anything. So you cultivate compassion, not courage, so much that you can take pretty much any level of fear. And then if you succeed, then you will never feel afraid again. But if the guru was not smart enough to tell to the student, now you can do it. And if the student goes without the permission of the guru and tries, and if the student is not compassionate enough, not strong enough in the mind, it can happen that the student goes crazy for life, for life, or that the student has a heart attack or a stroke and dies. Therefore, This third method of exploding the emotions by practicing them to the level where they become insane, dangerous, extreme, is a very extreme method which is practiced only by very experienced teachers who know how to take such risks without actually risking. It's the story of the parent who says, my child needs to learn to swim, and the best way to learn to swim is to throw it in a swimming pool and tell it, swim, survive. If you don't swim, you die. As you have seen in so many Hollywood movies, sometimes it works, sometimes it doesn't. And therefore, the father who does this has to be prepared to interfere or has to have the certainty that the kid can do some things, some moves there. And thus, this is an extreme method. It's specific to Tantra. Some Tantric gurus loved it because uh, it's a very intense method and because it's very quick. If you can remove one night your fear for the rest of your life, then it's really an efficient method. 
but it's not without challenges. Incidentally, the Chodpas, the people who practice this Tibetan Chod technology, they get a lot of other abilities because that fear is related to self-destruction and disease. The fear makes you get sick. If you are afraid of the COVID virus, you will get it and you will have a bad form of it and you might die. The fear is a killer. The Chodpas of Tibet, they were famous for the fact that in Tibet they had mostly two epidemics. Not so much the plague, because the plague is not, the rats are not living at 3,000 meters and other things, much less, and the plague is propagated by rats. So it is happening in the cities which are at a lower altitude. In Tibet, they had smallpox and cholera. These two are the epidemics which are choosing the, which are killing the Tibetans in the last 1,000 years until the advent of modern medicine. And there were epidemics. There were years and years of epidemics, either of cholera or of smallpox. And when people died of this, their body was highly infectious. And the Tibetans did not bury or burn the bodies because of the conditions in Tibet. And therefore they had to chop them and give them to the vultures, to the wild animals. That was the most frequent method of decomposition of the body, feeding it to animals. And nobody dared to chop the body of a person who had died of cholera or of smallpox, because when you hit it with a machete, drops of blood are jumping everywhere, and including on you and on your hands and something, and you will get contaminated. The only people who dared to chop contaminated bodies were the Chodpas, because it was known that the Chodpas, because they had no fear, if they were true Chodpas, they were not attacked by the demons. The demons of cholera and of, because these epidemics are demons, the COVID is also a demon, uh, these demons were not attacking the Chodpas. The Chodpas were immune. They achieved immunity by destroying their fear. <coughs> and therefore, the exploding of an emotion has many other collateral effects, some of them very beneficial or very paranormal or very special. This is a method which one should use only in peculiar situations. Imagine that you are my student. You come to me and you want to learn swimming. And I throw you in the water according to this method. And then you don't learn to swim, you almost choke, and you start blaming me for what I have done. And then, if you are American, you might even sue me into a court for what I have done, for whatever money is running through your imagination that I might be having. No? And therefore, no, this method has a lot of risks, both for the teacher, for the guide, for the guru, and for the students. And uh, uh, therefore, people who wash, wish to practice these methods, they think twice about it. Yeah, I had, in 2018 and so on, I had to suffer 
because I gave such cold showers to different people and probably I was not strong enough to wake them up 100%. No? So I shouldn't have used the method then with them. No? And then such people, they turned against me. And thus, this is a very problematic way of sorting out emotions. In extreme situations, it is done. There is a fourth level of dealing with it, and that is, of course, that sometimes you can satisfy the emotions wisely. Wisely. Like, my dominant emotion is that since I was a teenager, I was horny. I was not angry. People insulted me and I said, hey, okay, you know, it's like, I don't know, you know. Maybe I didn't have developed this. I'm not talking about myself. I'm talking in general about one who does that. No? And then, if I'm horny, then can I use that and stay sane, stay on the path, be spiritual? In a Christian monastery, no. I would have to go celibate. But in a tantric school, yes. Because if I learn the principle of brahmacharya, of sexual continence, in, and if I practice stubbornly for six months and I manage to gain some talent, if I can do it, not just dream about it, but actually do it, then I can be as horny as I want. Because every time when I'm horny, I turn it around and that energy, instead of being lost, it goes to my third eye or to my crown chakra. And then all is good. And thus, you can satisfy, like, okay, you are horny. Satisfy it wisely. Is there a way of satisfying other negative emotions wisely? Yes. Like, for example, I am workaholic because I'm psychologically traumatized. But can I be, you know, and people say, stop being such a workaholic. You know, it's not, you're running from yourself. You don't want to look in the mirror. You don't want to see something, you know. But can I use workaholism for something spiritual? Yes. I become a karma yogi and I give myself to a task and I simply say, you know, I want to forget myself in doing work, 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 work for a good cause. And then if I apply the principle of consecration, the principle of detachment, like if I do the karma yoga correctly, this karma yoga will slowly, slowly burn my negative karma, will slowly, slowly burn my impurities, and after 30 years of karma yoga, I would say, you know, I'm a religious practitioner. I'm a person oriented to service. Like, it is known that Mother Teresa had doubts about the existence of God. But she did karma yoga for, what, 40 years, 50 years. When she was old, she had become a much more spiritual person while in the beginning she was plagued with doubts and like she was running from herself. She didn't find the power to do prayer because she didn't know to whom she was praying. She didn't know if she was not praying to an illusion. 
But she had this extraordinary power. She was a Virgo, astrologically, and she had this extraordinary power to do work, 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 work. Service, 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 service. And this has purified her, sublimed her, and today Mother Teresa is a saint, is celebrated as a saint. That's why I'm telling you all these things to understand that there is a way of channeling a certain emotion. You don't try to replace it with another emotion. You don't try to fight with its opposite. You don't even try to explode it. But you are channeling it in a wise way. In the notorious American movie series called Dexter... Dexter is allegedly channeled by his father or whoever to channel his desire to murder people. I don't know if that has been used in any ashram, in any lineage, or in anything like this. But remember that in Christianity, in Japanese Buddhism and others, there have been knights and samurai who are carrying weapons and who actually did kill people for God, for Buddha, for a good cause. They were the good guys. They thought that they were the good guys, definitely. So, even that one is arguable. But I'm not talking about something as extreme as that. I'm talking about 99% of the other things. In a tantric environment, you will find a way of channeling such things... Okay, if your dominant emotion is that you are horny, you don't love anybody, you don't want to serve anybody, you don't feel that you are generous, you don't feel that you are kind, you don't feel that you are compassionate, you don't feel that you are extremely brave, you don't feel this, you, but you are horny from morning till evening. You know what? Sexual Tantra can give you an experimental path to use that for trying to sublime and getting close to God. So remember the, the essence. We must be able to control our emotions. Chaotic emotionalism leads to tragedy. A lot of demonic things are in the emotions. I know that I should know that God and Jesus love me, but I feel that they abandon me and therefore I do something stupid. Then it means the demons made me feel abandonment. And because of that abandonment, I did something really, really stupid. Right? Try to realize that even the notorious Judas, he would not have betrayed Jesus if he would have believed 100% in Jesus. But he had doubts. He wanted to see Jesus confronting the high priests and maybe defeating them in argument and in miracles and in other such things. No? So he needed extra demonstration, which means he did not believe in Jesus. Yeah? I'm trying to tell you to understand this. That means uh, emotions can take you in all the wrong places. I have seen people who both in my yoga school and in many other places in spirituality, they listened to their emotions and they have gone gaga. 
Please watch the documentary called The Century of the Self. And you are going to find out that in the 1960s and 70s, when the hippies thought that psychology can replace religion, and it's the solution, the scientific solution to everything, they made a pilot experiment of bringing psychologists to a Christian nunnery, to a female monastery, if I remember correctly, somewhere in Colorado, Arizona, Nevada, in an American state. There were 256 nuns in that monastery, which means it was a big monastery. And after one year of psychological consultations, there were left four. 252 nuns defrocked themselves, recanted, and left the monastery. A few of them became radical socialist lesbians, among others. You know, like they went completely gaga. They went completely in the, some other direction. Yeah? And the experiment was a total fiasco. You know, because psychology gives too much credence to the emotions and tries to fiddle with the emotions too much And unfortunately, it created a total chaos and a total salad in the souls of those women. And they lost the path to God. I don't know if any one of those 252 would have made it to God. But at least they had the right to try until they died. They had the right to put their life into it and give it an honest try. Dealing with the emotions in an unwise way and just fiddling with them in all these stupid ways, it actually destroyed their spiritual path. Maybe if they stayed on the path, they had a chance. I don't know it. You don't know it. The psychologists don't know it. But you don't know what God knows. Right? And that's why... I'm telling to you, you have to deal with your emotions. You have to not accept the negative emotions. You have to find a way to replace them with the opposite, to replace them with another meaningful emotion in your life, such as aspiration or fear of death or whatever, anything which can serve your purpose. You can try the methods of exploding the emotions, but without a guru and without special conditions, this will be a difficult thing to do and dangerous and you can find a way for 99% of the emotions you can find a way to satisfy them wisely my teacher in chiropractic had a big manipura and was a very very fiery man and he satisfied this need of his this restlessness of him by doing multiple multiple exorcisms. He was the greatest, strongest exorcist that I've ever seen in my life until today. No? And he was a Sagittarius. Usually old Sagittarians go very grumpy and very restless. Look at Timothy Leary, who was also a Sagittarius, how he ended his life, what kind of jerk he became as he got older. 
and this old man could become a frustrated old Sagittarius man who could not express his desire for go, 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 relentless spiritual action, or he found a way to manifest his fire. He was the enemy of the demons. He was the soldier of God. He did exorcisms and prayers against the darkness many times per day, relentlessly. This is how he spent his fire. So remember, even if you are an aggressive person who is restless, you can find a job in the army of God. You can put that in the service of God one way or another. That's why I said, I don't want to make it absolute. Maybe 99% of emotions, you can find a tantric way of channeling or satisfying them in a wise way. And thus, you have multiple methods of dealing with your emotions, but the first thing is that you must accept to control your emotions. You must deal with it. I'm telling you one simple thing. Let's say your life is not very challenging and it's quite flat in many ways. You know, you are living in a flat lifestyle and then you say, I don't need because I don't have so much anyway and there's not so many challenges, you know, and so on. Then you are going to die. And in the moment when you die, some nostalgic, chaotic, stupid emotions will come because you haven't trained to deal with them. They will overpower you. And instead of you dying in full aspiration and dying in full sublimation, you will die in some stupid emotion which overpowers you exactly at the worst possible moment of your life and death. And of course, karmically, that's exactly where those emotions will strike, exactly at your weakest point, because the karma always knows how to find the weakest spot in somebody's defenses. And that's why, no, there should be zero tolerance towards lack of emotional control. In spiritual science, one has to cultivate constant spiritual emotions and in case of negative emotions to understand, to know practically how to deal with them. I could say much more, but I wanted to bring in your understanding of yoga of daily life this aspect that human beings must be capable to channel, modify, transmute, sublime their emotions because especially nowadays we live in a very emotionally chaotic time. Psychology does not work spiritually as far as my experience goes. I haven't seen yet super successful spiritual psychology. And because of that, people have to solve it in the ways of classical yoga, in the ways of religion and spirituality, in the ways of the tantric tradition, in the ways of sublimation, channeling, and other such methods. But people in yoga and in spirituality have to find a way to deal with this emotional lack of control, which is not acceptable because it will strike you 
exactly when you expect it less and ex- exactly when you need it less and that is not the right way to proceed. With this, we have finished for tonight. Thank you all for joining. And uh, there will be other themes which will be announced in time for the coming satsangs also applicable in tantric relationships and other such things. If you have requests or things which you want to hear, send them to Agama, send them to the proper channels to Agama, and eventually they come to me and I choose the best themes which uh, are having, for which you are having the necessity to receive teachings and to receive inspiration. With this, thank you to all of you and Namaste. See you in the future activities of Agama.